Corinthians for a couple of months. Um, Paul, the apostle, was the founder uh, of this church. Um, the Spirit of God would send him into uh, into very specific places to do some very specific things, and he would go in and bring the gospel of, of Jesus Christ um, into a place and would form a church, would train up leaders, and when God told him to move to another place, he would move to another place. In the, in the city of Corinth, once he was gone, uh, there were some issues that happened. Um, just various things popped up. So Second Corinthians is one of a series of letters where he is addressing different uh, problems and uh, just divisive things that, that happened. And so we've been just kind of just going through this letter a little bit at a time, looking at these different issues and seeing... Uh, what God has for for our church uh, within that. We started last week, uh, we started chapter 10, at the beginning of chapter 10, when he begins to address uh, the fact that there had been some uh, some false teachers who had come into the city after he had left, and they um, were kind of basically trying to hijack uh, the Christians there. They were trying to hijack the church and uh, and take control uh, as and just kind of become the pastors, basically, as a way to make money and manipulate people, uh, they were false teachers, and so Paul, at this point in the letters, is addressing, you know, the division that they have caused, the the uh, the damage that had been done spiritually to the people in the church and in the city, and kind of uh, okay, well now what are we going to do about this uh, as it gets there? Now, one of the things about uh, studying through the Bible is that uh, with all these different books and all these different um, Authors has written like forty different authors, like over fifteen hundred years. I mean, just a masterpiece. Uh, there's all kinds of different types of literature in there, and so as we're studying through things, we have to take into account what kind of literature is this, and that helps us to understand how to apply it. So you would look, you would approach a narrative text differently than you would poetry. Um, this is a letter, and so we have to remember that this was a, literally like a letter that Paul sat down and wrote to a to a group of people that he knew and loved. And, and so there are times when he is just addressing things that are very specific to that group of people at that particular point in time. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that it's irrelevant for us. And this is kind of one of those, those parts of the letter where we get to it, and it's like he's talking about these false, false teachers and what to do about it and, and all that. And the way that fits in with us is that Paul uh, has this brilliant way of, of not only just conveying information, but he's constantly teaching and discipling as he does that. And so you, you don't ever see Paul just say like, hey, but, you know, by the way, tell so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so I uh, said, you know, what's up in his letter. Like he always um, talks about their value and, the, and that he is praying for them and the role that they've played in his life and how he longs to see them. He's he, as he's saying, hey, tell them what's up, he's also being like, hey, you're so important to me, and I love you so dearly. He's just communicating the, this, all this depth within those relationships. So he doesn't waste his words. He takes advantage of everything. And so even, even whenever he's in some, something like this, when he's like trying to make some points, he's, he's teaching and discipling as we go. And so in 
preparation for tonight, I, you know, which is you know, what I do all the time, I say, okay, of all the things that are in these passages, God, what, what is it for this group of people at this point in time tonight? Like, what do you want to pull out of this text for us? And, um, and so a little bit different from what I usually do, I guess. Um, I think there are three big ideas to pull out of this text that within his instruction to him and within him um, sort, of, sort of defending his apostleship and stuff like that, uh, I think there are three big points we're going to bring out. Um, and I'm going to go in reverse order that they are in the text. Is that all right? I hope so, because I don't have another plan. So, uh, well, let's start at verse 7. We'll, we won't read it backwards. We'll read it in order, and then do the points the other way. Okay, uh, verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, when the Lord, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, okay, these are his opponents, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that, uh, that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending them, themselves. When they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. We are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. All right, now look back at verse 13. If, you're, uh, if your Bible kind of breaks things into paragraphs, it's kind of the last paragraph in this chapter. Uh, from this, uh, I, I feel like for us tonight, uh, I kind of have like three points, and that would be like one word each. So if you're a note taker, this is one of those nights where you're going to like this. Uh, the first word I, I think is best summed up by saying vision. Um, just simply vision. Look back at, at verse 13. Um, He's talking about about boasting. And he deals a lot with boasting because that was one of the that was one of the the criticisms against him was that he was too confident in what God had called him to do. And the thing about Paul that was that was unique was that um, Jesus Christ Himself uh, called him into the ministry. Like Jesus, like led him to Jesus. And that gave him a credential that not a lot of people had. In fact, only the apostles and Paul, I mean, they're the only ones who could claim that. That Jesus looked him in the eye and said, you are going to go and you're going to do this. And so that was one of the, the areas of criticism. So these guys who were trying to hijack the church, in order to do that, they basically had to, to render like Paul ineffective in the eyes of the church people. 
And so they came in with all these, um, all these criticisms, just trying to, to undermine him, just taking cheap shots at him, basically trying to get the people to stop trusting Paul and to start trusting them. And one of the things they said is that he just, he's just boasts so much. He boasts in the Lord so much. It's terrible, right? So look at verse 13. It says, We will not boast beyond limits, but we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So he's really getting into the fact that he's like, you know, God called us to Corinth. Like, Jesus himself, like, has led us every step of the way. And so um, we're focused on this, this city. Our ministry, when we were there for that year and a half, was focused on that city. Verse 14, we're not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. These guys had come in and were taking all this credit and and really trying to mess up what ministers who had gone ahead of them had done. And Paul didn't, he didn't take too well to that. You know, he, he had invested in these people. He had been sent by God. He had been... Uh, empowered by the Spirit to go. He had been with them for a year and a half, trained up these leaders, and left them. These guys come in and mess up everything. So, of course, he's not going to be too kind to that. But but look at, look at why. He says, But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may, greatly, may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. So you know what? He's like, we're not trying to like, go into where the gospel already is. We want, we're, we're going to places where it hasn't been. That's, that's the vision that God has, has given us. That's, the, that's the, the snapshot of our lives that he has given us. He says, and, and I love how he says it, that, that that is their hope. He didn't say, God's, God has promised me this. He didn't even use the word vision. That's my, my word. He says, but our hope is, is that as your faith increases, as your faith deepens, as you mature in your faith, that our area of, of influence will, will spread, will grow wider, that it'll, it'll go beyond you. That as you grow up, we, in the faith, that we can go ahead and go somewhere else where the gospel hasn't been yet. We don't, we're not worried about going somewhere where somebody else is already preaching and teaching the gospel. We want to go somewhere where people who have never heard of Jesus, never heard the truth about God, have, they, don't, they don't know who he is or what he's done. We want to, that's where we want to go. So that's, that's our hope. That's our desire is that that would be the case. And so I was reading that, and I was just, just thinking, you know, like what, what a wonderful like, like thing to be boasting about. To say, Jesus himself has a plan for my life, and this is what it looks like. I was like, man, Paul's so lucky. I was like, wait a minute, Paul's not that different than me, right? Paul's not different from you, right? The fact that, that Paul knew exactly what God wanted him to do because he had asked and because he had been obedient because he had embraced God's plan for his life and was just living completely by faith, one foot in front of the other, following down that path. That's the same calling for my life, same calling for your life. Anyone who is in Christ, it's the same thing. And so then the obvious question is, is, what, is like, what is the vision for your life? I know that sounds like I'm not trying to like 
This isn't like feel-good message night necessarily, you know. I'm not trying to speak in really like ambiguous, flowery terms. But what, what do you think your life is supposed to look like? And I don't mean like in the way we tend to think, which a lot of times is, is like, if you ask my, most people, do you, you know, what do you think you're supposed to do with your life? Uh, they know usually. They have some sort of an idea. I mean, you ask, you ask the graduating seniors who are graduating from college, they sort of maybe have a plan, maybe. I'm not talking about, like, what do you want your life to look like? Like, well, you know, I like to get married, I like to have some kids, I like to, you know, retire at some point, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not what I'm talking about, although I think that those things are included in God's plan for our lives. I'm talking about what, what is the vision for your life? Like, Paul... From the from Jesus' lips to his ears was like this is what this is the vision. To go, faith gets deeper, our influence goes beyond. To go into regions where this has not happened. See that's that's vision. That's that's a plan. Psalm twenty three, God uh, you lead me down paths of righteousness for your name's sake. It's a path of righteousness, saying this is what I want it to look like. I think for us, I think we tend to make plans for our lives based on what like, people in our age bracket normally do. We make budgets. We uh, figure out what a 401K is. We, you know, all that kind of stuff. You start kind of planning ahead and all. It becomes really logistical, and that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a vision for your life. Not a plan for your life, a vision for your life that comes from Jesus. First time I was ever confronted with this was at, uh, at one day, which was a passion event in 2001. And John Piper gets up, and some of you were there, and some of you have heard this since then. He reads this story, and basically he just says, uh, it's a story about this couple, and they retired at age like 48. And they were living like somewhere in Florida, and uh, you know, they had saved all this money and they retired really early and lived the American dream. Now they were retired, living in Florida, and they were collecting shells. That was his big thing. They had this awesome shell collection, you know. So he's reading this, you know, and everybody's like, oh, there's like a part of you that's like, okay, I know he's about to say that's bad. <laughs> but that sounds, that sounds awesome. Not the shell collection part, but, you know, uh, whatever. And, uh, and so you're like, but I know he's about to trick us, so I'm not going to act like I like that. And sure enough, he just goes off. On that, and this whole thing was like he's like, this is the American dream that that your generation has been sold, and it is an absolute lie. And and he is one of those statements I always forget. He's like, you think you really think you're going to get to heaven, and God's going to say, what do you have? What account do you have to give for your life? And you're like, look at my rock and shell collection. That was a paraphrase. He didn't say rocking, but look at my shell collection. Look what I've done with my, see that, and that was one of the first times I was really like, stepped back, was like, what do I want my life to look like? My, my character, my heart, my, um, my, my, like, giving to other people and my interaction with people, like, what kind of person do I want to be? But not in the, not in a fleshly sense, not in a, I want to, proud to be an American kind of sense, like in a, Jesus, what do you, what is your vision for my life? What do you think? Not what do I think, not what does society think, and not whatever. What do you think? Where do you want 
me to go down this path of righteousness for your namesake. What's your vision for my life? And I think it's really important that we have confidence in the Lord and in his calling on our lives enough to be able to know it. I'm not saying we have to be able to articulate it like this, and you may never be confronted with that, but to know because you've asked, because you've sought the Lord, you've said, this, my life is not my own. Nothing about my life is my own. What do you want my life to look like? Back, if we back up a couple of chapters when we talked about generosity, like let's just take, just take generosity. You say, God, what's your, what's your vision for my life in regard to generosity? In a, I, I think our flesh, I think our, um, our cultural like, influence, everything that's on us would cause us to answer the, what, how, what, does our, what do we want our generosity to look like in a certain way? But I think if we ask Jesus, what do you want it to look like? I think he'll tell us. I think he'll not only tell us, but I think he'll equip us. And I think he'll empower us and he'll call us to be obedient, but he'll make those things happen. And so none of us, none of us thinks that if we ask Jesus, what is, when it comes to being generous with my life, what is, what is your vision for my life in regard to that? None of us is, is going to say, well, Jesus really told me that I need to always live paycheck to paycheck and uh, live like beyond my means and, uh, you know, be really stingy and like complain a lot and, you know, about money and all that kind of stuff and be super stressed out and uh, get lots and lots of stuff that uh, like and go into a lot of debt and find out my worth and value and my like material possessions. All that. Nobody's going to say that, that Jesus told them that. If they do, uh, come tell them come talk to me, because I disagree. Of course, of course not. And so sometimes I wonder if the reason why we live uh, less than generous lives is be- is really because we've just never really asked the Lord, like, what do you, how do you see my life looking in regard to this? I think when we begin to ask Him, I think He's like, you know what? I think I think for your life. Uh, I don't see you, like, living a kind of lifestyle that you can't afford. My vision for your life is for you to, uh, to live within your means and actually live below your means so that you can be generous financially, um, so that you can, can be that kind of person, so that you can give to admin conspiracy, so that you can give to the boys' home in India, so you can give to those things. And I know this is possible because I know people who have said, you know what, like, my goal is to, like, is to be super successful financially. But not because I want to live in this giant house I can't afford or any of this kind of stuff. I want to be really successful financially um, so that I can actually, like, just give and give and give and give. Like, why wouldn't I want to, if I'm in a certain field, if God has equipped me and made me good, good at what I do to the point where companies want to reward that, in such a way that I make all this kind of money, why, I don't have to live up to that level. I can live at a normal level like a normal person and just give and give and give and support things. And I can be one of those kind of people that, that uh, people know when there's a need, you come and let me know. Like I, that's a vision when it comes to generosity. And it's not just money. We talk about being generous with our time. You don't want to be, like nobody's like, yeah, Jesus, really, the vision he's given for me is to be that person who never has time for anyone. Glory to God. Nobody's going to do that. 
God's, I'm telling you, his, like, when it comes to being generous with your time, you ask him to give you a vision, he'll, he'll give you a vision for your life. And certainly, be careful what you ask for. But I tell you this, once, once that vision is there, uh, it, it doesn't go away. It doesn't subside. It doesn't become an, an afterthought. It, it, it begins to just bother you so much when it's not happening. Of course we want to be generous with our time. Of course we want to be able to serve. Of course we don't have to like schedule service opportunities like 12 weeks in advance because we're so maxed out time-wise. No, we, we want to be freely generous. We want to be generous with, with like our gifts and abilities and our, uh, the way God's called us to, to. So anyway, let me get, get back to generosity. So just generosity in general, not just financial. Generosity all the way around. Jesus, what do you, what's your vision for my life when it comes to that? Jesus, what is your vision for my life when it comes to discipleship? When it comes to, to ministry to my coworkers, to my neighbors? What's your vision for my life when it comes to y- the use of my gifts and abilities within the church? What's your vision for my life when it comes to uh, you know, fill in the blank? I mean, whatever it is. What do you want my life to look like? And Maybe you've never asked. Maybe you've asked and, and, and you know what it is and that's what you're working toward. I don't know. But I, could, I do know this. God has something in mind for every one of us that is significant because it originates with him. And what Paul is saying in this letter, he's saying that these false teachers that have come in, Every bit of vision they have originates with themselves. And the vision, vision that, that I have in my group of, of ministers with Timothy and Silas and Apollos and, and Titus, our, our vision, it, it comes from him. And I think for you and I, um, to, to see that and to read that and to be challenged by that is, is a really, it's a healthy thing for us to really say, God, what's your vision for my entire life? I know I picked on generosity, but it goes across the board. God, what do you want my life to look like? And we begin to, to move in that direction. Like, I think God really will give us a glimpse down that path of righteousness for his namesake. I think God will give you a glimpse of you at age 90. So what do you want to look like when you're 90? What do you want to look like when you're 80? What about 70? What about 60? What about 50? I think he looks at your life and he says, I have really just tremendous things in store for you. I want to make you into that kind of person. Let me lead you down this path. Because he, we live moment to moment. He does not live moment to moment. He's like, I know the next step. I know the step after that. We experience time in a linear sense. He doesn't. He sees it all at once. He's like, let me lead you down this path of righteousness for my namesake. So maybe for you, that's the takeaway tonight is, is, is just being like, man, I've really lost sight of that. I've never really asked him that. I really have, like, I know he has a plan for me. And then in the regard to salvation, I get that. But in regard to, like, what my life will look like, that's not something I've invested enough time in. Maybe that's the takeaway for you. Let's look at these, these other points. Go, look, go back to look at verse 7. He says in verse 7, look at what is before your eyes. Okay? Now, that is another way of him saying, okay, look what's really going on here. 
Look beneath the surface and see what's really happening in regard to these false teachers. Last week, we, we talked about how you know, they're taking all these cheap shots at him. And his basic, his basic attitude was like, you know what, you can say anything you want about me, I don't really care. But the thing that got him riled up was, was the fact that, that one of the accusations was that he was, was walking according to the flesh, which is like a Pauline way of saying um, he's, he's, living, he's not living like he's like really a saved person, like, he's really, uh, like he knows Jesus. He's living um, like someone who does not know Jesus. And what, when Paul's interpretation of that is, okay, so you're saying that God didn't do what God actually did. See, Paul never, he didn't take it personally. He was like, man, my feelings are so hurt. He's like, oh, wait, so you're calling God a liar. Okay, that's different. See, so when he says, Look, look what's going on before your eyes. Look, look what's really going on here. He's saying, look, don't let the surfacey stuff be what dictates things. Look deeper than that. And so last week we talked about it, how, how these false teachers, they were basically they were, they were creating these, uh, these false ideas about God. And in a spiritual sense, they were setting up all these lies about God in the minds and hearts of the people of the city. And Paul's like, you know what? We're, we're here to destroy those things. That's what, that's what the gospel does. It, it annihilates those, those structures, those lies that are being constructed. And so he was pushing them to see beyond the surface issues and, and not even to look at the people. And he's not, like, dropping names, not saying, like, like I said last week, you find these six guys, have them tied up when I get there or whatever. He's like, no, 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 forget the surface issues. Let's go deeper and realize that, that the damage is being done on a spiritual level because people are believing lies about God, and we're here to destroy those things that are lies. So he's always looking, uh, like sending them at what's going deeper. Um, So these first couple of verses says, look at what's before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Basically saying that if they're really Christians, then they'll recognize that we're Christians too, and we'll be working together instead of like competing with each other. So somebody is a liar. Um, verse 8, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, okay? That's kind of a, a little jab at the fact that, hey, guess what? Uh, those sent from the Lord, they come in to build and not destroy. And what's happening here among you is destruction. Um, it says, I won't be ashamed of the fact that I'm boasting because I know that I'm boasting in the Lord and you can't ever do that too much. Uh, verse 9, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, um, we're going to come back to that in a second. We're going to come back to 11. Look at verse 12. It says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They are without understanding. Now, what was happening is, Paul has his credentials. We talked about this, uh, I think, last semester sometime, so it's probably real fresh on your memory. Uh, Paul's credentials was basically like, Jesus himself appeared to me and sent me. Um, their like, credentials were like all their buddies had written like, letters of recommendation for him. So they had this little group that just affirmed each other. You know? like, you ever like, like, read a book, like, get like, a 
book by a Christian author, and like all the endorsements are like all their boys, you know, like all their buddies. Uh, I never really trust that very much. Um, and then when I see one that's written by some like oddball person that's in like a different, you know, whatever, like if Piper writes a book and then like uh, it's just like just a bunch of like, you know, Piperites that are all like, this is the best book I've ever read, all this kind of stuff, that's fine. You, you let there be a credential on there that's from somebody who hates him, okay, that's the book I want to read right there. So these guys were like, oh, I'll write you a letter of recommendation, you write me one, cool. So they go in, they're like, here are my letters of recommendation. From all my friends. I'm, a, I'm not as good of a speaker as this guy, but I'm a better speaker than this guy. And that's one of the things we read in the text just now. They were saying, like, yeah, he, he's, he writes really well, but he shows up like he can't preach, and he's kind of a wuss, and, you know, whatever. Um, and so they're they all about comparing themselves to each other. And Paul says, yeah, see, when they compare themselves to each other, they're, they're without understanding. That's a nice way of saying they are foolish. Now, I think that's why the second point, uh, second word, I guess, second bullet point would be comparison. And this is why I think that factors in. Because when you have a vision for your life, a vision that, that God has given you, of this is, this is what I want your life to look like. And, and I recognize the fact that, that every one of us, the vision is the same in one sense but yet it manifests differently in a different sense, okay? So I, I get that. So you have, let's say you, that you have, have prayed and sought the Lord, and he's really just given you this beautiful dream about your life. You're like, this is what I hope my life looks like in 20 years, um, in, in a spiritual sense. This is the person, this is the character I want. Um, one of the greatest threats to your journey down that path of righteousness that he's leading you down is comparison, like that will that will hinder. It just absolutely will will wipe you out. And right now, there's a lot of you that are like, "Yep, he's right." Because for some reason, it's something that we all like drag around with us. It's sort of like being addicted to like people's approval, but it's sort of like that approval addiction is kind of like first cousin. Because because we're comparing ourselves all the time, so so let's go back to generosity. Like I talked about, like let's say in the area of generosity, you really like you are, are like okay, God's given me this vision that in twenty years I will be I will live like a very like moderate lifestyle, but I'll be making more money. I'm able to be generous, and instead of tithing, you know, X percent, I'm like gonna like triple that, and you just have this whole plan that's there because because in the area of financial generosity. Um, like God has told you, this is what I have for you. I've wired you up this way. I've made you good at what you do. Stupid companies are going to pay you a lot of money to do this. And that is all to fund ministry and the gospel. Okay? That's the vision. Nothing will slow you down. No, I'd say nothing. I hate when preachers make big statements. Nothing will slow you down more than this. A lot of things could. One of the great slowdowns would be, would be, uh, would be comparisons. Comparing yourself to other people. So let's say let's say that God has has like like you just know you're like I'm you know like I'm a rocket scientist and I'm one of the best out there. And so you know as you get up there sometimes it's like man I'm making this money same amount of money as this guy but he's got like 12 boats and like 14 houses and he has his own rocket at home and I go to this little church that doesn't even have a building and uh 
whatever. And, uh, but I'm giving a lot of money there and stuff like that, and it's really good and it's fruitful and stuff. But, man, it's so hard to listen to this guy come in on Monday and talk about his weekend and to know that I could be doing the same stuff. Start comparing yourself. Or you show up at that little bitty church and you like writing that big fat check, putting it in the bowl in the corner. You're like, I I, I bet on the lead giver. I bet if our church had like a big giver's brunch that uh, I would be in the middle of the room, which we don't have, and we never will. (laughs) That's the vision God's given us. For, for big givers brunches, don't have them. Um, that comparison can just bring up all this stupidity in our hearts and our minds. And next thing you know, you're 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 a little less aggressive about pursuing His will down that path of righteousness for His name's sake. And instead of that being like a like full on like as fast as I can run sprint down that path. You start slowing down a little bit, you know, kind of walking, kind of kicking some rocks, kind of taking in the scenery a little bit. Or let's say, let's say that the financial generosity issue for you is not one where you're in a field where you know you're going to make all kind of money. Like maybe you're in a field where you're like, you know what, like there's, you're just, you're just never going to have a lot of money. And, and I've called you to a field where you're not going to make a lot of money, and you know what, money's not that important. From a kingdom perspective, uh, as far as thinking about eternity, don't sweat it. Just be obedient or whatever. But at the same time, what I'm calling you to, I'm still calling you to be generous. I'm still calling you to give. So, uh, so you be, be faithful to give. In comparison, will hold you back too when you're like, yeah, I, I don't make nearly the money as my rocket scientist friend, as my community group. I don't make the kind of money that where the ring's not going to notice. They're not going to feel it if I do give. And if I don't give, they're not going to be like, oh, no, we can't pay the bills. So, again, that comparison comes in. Do you know, generosity is one thing. But I think comparison, like, just absolutely um, destroys parts of us sometimes when it comes to Things like discipleship, when it comes to things like serving, when it comes to like our spiritual gifts and the way that God's put the body together. Because we say, as much as I would love to invest my time in people, there are better people in our church to do that. I'm sure they'd much rather sit down with this person than me. What do I have to offer in this, you know, that compared to this person? We start comparing ourselves. And so maybe you have this vision, this great hope that you would be a discipler that you would invest in people um, in, the, in the lives around you, but you're all held back because you're so insecure because you've been comparing yourself to everybody else. And it's so dumb. But for some reason, there, that boat is like maxed out with people who think that way. What Paul is saying here is he's like, you know, we're not going to play that comparison game in ministry. They can rank themselves as who's, who's a better speaker than who and who has more credentials. And I was kind of like, you just let them play their game. We're looking at Jesus and saying, what do you want us to do? What you want is what matters. See, 
discipleship. I was was talking at our like husband's discipleship deal last weekend. I'm not a husband, but I, so I got to go. And uh, and we were talking about discipleship first being vertical and then being horizontal. So first it's vertical in the sense that like, okay, God, what, what do you have to say about this this topic, whatever it is? What does your spirit tell us directly? What does your spirit, spirit tell us through the scriptures? What do you have to say about whatever it is? And then it's horizontal second, and it's like, okay, let's, let's figure this stuff out. So, so if, if I go into a like, situation like that, and we're talking about a, a certain topic, um, as the leader, my primary deal is to say, what, is, what does God have to say about this? That particular Sunday, the topic was fear. What does, what does God have to say about fear? What does the scripture say about fear? First, it's vertical. And then it's horizontal. And be like, okay, so how does this show up in your life? How does it show up in your life? How does it show up in your life? See, our tendency is to go, is to go horizontal right away, right? It's to go right to the, like, what, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What we end up doing is we end up comparing so much that that becomes the standard that we measure our lives against. And Paul's saying that's the mistake they're making. The comparison is they're looking at each other and be like, where do I rank in this room? Where do I rank among these people? How do I, how do I, where do I look for truth? Where do I look for a standard? And, and Paul's really getting down to the fact, that, like, you know what? That's not where it starts. It starts here. It starts with, what does Jesus say? So I was meeting with somebody the other day, and I got so flustered because I felt like I couldn't, like we were talking through like a very specific topic, and I felt like I had nothing to bring to the table. Like I was, I felt like, like one of the many sermons I preach where I'm just like, I feel like I'm in just like quicksand, like, or like one of those dreams where you're in a fight and you're like hitting in slow motion. Sometimes I feel like that when I'm preaching. Like I'm like, I'm not making any sense, and I don't know how to get out of this, and how did I get here, and why didn't I make better notes? Why don't I look at my notes? Why didn't I bring, bring notes? Uh, and, and so, uh, and I was just so flustered, and I couldn't figure it out, and I apologized to him over, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not making any sense, you know, whatever. Later on, it, like, the Lord was like, the reason why you weren't making any sense is because you were completely being horizontal in that. Like, you were trying to bring good advice, you were trying to, like, speak, like, you know, like this, and at no point did you say, what does Jesus have to say about this? What do you have to say about this? I fell into the trap of comparison. Paul says, those guys are, are in that trap. We're not playing that game. I think for our lives, what God has called us to, that, that we've got to avoid that. And so maybe for you, that's the takeaway tonight. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm completely paralyzed in my pursuit of that path of righteousness because I can't get over comparing myself to people around me. And so from here, you say, what, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? And then you seek some help among your relationships with prayer and figuring that stuff out. Third, third point, final point. Look at verse, uh, verse 9. It says, I do, not want to appear, uh, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Here it is. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when, we, when absent, we do when present. The third word would simply be integrity. Like, look, we don't say one thing and then do another. And you need, they need to understand that. You need to understand that. At the beginning of the chapter, he's like, look, I, when I show up, it's, it's going to get real. There's a, there's a consistency 
between what we say and what we do. Now, you know me, you know this church, you know that we are very much against like a behavior modification kind of, of thinking. So sometimes we read a verse like that and we're like, oh man, I need to fix my behavior. So that it lines up with what the Bible says. Like, well, okay, and like conceptually that needs to happen. We sang a song earlier that talked about being about our faith and our relationship with God being an inside out transformation. And sometimes we just want to go to that external stuff. We just want to, okay, well, I just need to stop doing this and stop doing this and stop doing this, just start doing this and everything will be fine. And we ignore where that all originates. However, there's got to be some unity between what we say we believe and how we conduct ourselves. And so what I think, like looking at our behavior, I don't think it's like look at your behavior so you know what to fix. I say look at your behavior so you know when there's dissonance. And you know that dissonance originates somewhere in here, which is really somewhere in our mind. Somewhere there's some like messed up thinking that we need to figure out what it is. And so if we're going to, as believers, if we're going to grab onto the scriptures and say, we believe that this is true, and we're going to come in here, we're going to sing these kinds of songs, and we're going to, you know, whatever, like that, there should be a consistency with how we live our lives with those truths. And when those things don't line up, that will keep you hindered in pursuit of that path of righteousness and that vision as well. Because when there is when there's dissonance there, when there's a lack of integrity in our lives, we don't want to run down the path of righteousness for his namesake because we know that path, because we know that we're not living in such a way that is righteous. If righteousness is, is it's, it's a life that's consistent with holiness. Okay, so when we say God is righteous, it means that he always, always, always is consistent with who he really is. And so a path of righteousness means like as you go down this path, you're going to always be who you really are. He's going to lead you in a way that where you're always like, you're, there's just always integrity. There's always consistency. You're always being who you really are. There are no lies. There are no false thinking about God. There's just no, there's just no stupidity there. There's just a complete obedience and faith and hope and love. And it's all there. Path of righteousness for my namesake. Path of righteousness. He's leading us to be who we really are. That's what that verse is saying. And when there is dissonance there, when we know, like, what, what we end up doing, like I said before, you stop running as hard and you kind of slow down and start kicking some rocks. When there's lack of integrity, we just collapse on the path. We just fall down and we pout. We're confused and we ask all these questions and all this kind of stuff, whatever. And then we try to, like, make, make people think that we're okay. Like, our paths are next to each other. But I'm okay. I'll, I'll catch up. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need help. I'm fine. And the whole time, the truth is like, no, you're not. You're going to be fine. But you need, like, you need what only God can do. And God knows what the next step from there is. And so whether it's comparison or whether it's a lack of integrity, there are things that hinder us in, in us running that race down that path. And Paul simply says, you know what? Um, those things don't have to be a hindrance because you can live a life of integrity. You can live a life of no comparison. You can live a life that is completely confident, like he says at the end down here, for it is, uh, 
Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You can live a life of boasting in the Lord and his vision for life for you. He leads us, he leads us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As, over the years, I've done a number of things as a musician, and there are two, uh, two devices that I've found over the years were just crucial to having like success as a musician. One of them is a tuner. Uh, you just there's just like this like they're up here. Um, if you've ever been to like a concert or whatever, there's like the instrumentalist comes out, the oboe player comes out and gets up there and like plays a note, and everybody plays the same note, and they all play a bunch of other notes. You know what I'm talking about before the concert starts. Saying everybody's everybody's a little bit out of tune or whatever, and so I'm, here's here's gonna be the standard. I'm gonna play this this note. And then you play whatever your instrument is. If you're below that note or above that note, you make the adjustments, whatever, and come back to there. The other thing is, is a metronome. Say, how fast do we want this song to be? Right on it. When I was a drum major, we had to do this, this thing, and uh, we were playing this uh, patriotic deal, and they had the, the flyover on the jets, right? So they tell me, uh, before we go to the stadium, by the way, uh, this is going to be timed... Perfectly. So you have to count the song off at exactly 120. If it's too fast, the jets will be late. If it's too slow, the jets will be early, or vice versa. I can't remember. But if you, it's got to be 120 for it to be right. Awesome. The metronome, just like having that steady click, click, click. Click, click, and it never slows up. It never slows down. It never speeds up, and it keeps everybody honest. A tuner is always at a four forty, and it has everybody, all the musicians together. I believe that that God's desire for our lives is to always have that that perfect unity, to have that steadiness, like of that metronome, to have just that perfect. Like everybody playing in tune with the spirit, like on a tuner. Like it's just to take all of our lives that are all like all over the place, or whatever, just to put us just right there, right on that path of righteousness for his name's sake. And I don't know what the takeaway is for you. Maybe it's about vision. Maybe it's about um, comparison. Maybe it's about integrity. Maybe it's about something else. I don't know. And maybe you just want me to shut up. And I know that most of the time I preach so much longer than I ever intend to. But. I believe that God gathers this group for a reason. I think he knew that this would be the text, that this would be the night, that these would be the points, that this would be the sermon, that these would be the songs, that these would be the hugs that you would get, these would be the handshakes that you would get. And all that works together, and I think it's to put us in tune with him. For him to say, I know the path of righteousness that I want to lead you down. I know the path of you being consistent with who you are for my name's sake. Let me bring you down it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for, uh, for your patience with us, for your grace. That is just, I mean, steadily, steadily filling our lives. And we need it so much. I pray that... Um, Pray that you would 
just that you would get a hold of us. That you would help us to sync up with you. That like a tuner or a metronome, that we would that we just recognize who you are, that you are the standard for us. And that we would stop looking to other places and other things for for direction and all that stuff, yeah, but for a vision for our lives. We would say, God, what do you what do you say about my life? What do you where do you want to lead me? What's the next step down this path of righteousness for me? How do I break free from comparison? How do I walk with more integrity? Say, I'm tired of being a person who says they believe one thing, but then there's so much in life that indicates some other. I don't know where to go next. We look to you, Jesus, to be the one to say, this is the next step. This is the next step down the path of righteousness. I pray to God that we would be we would be leadable in that. That we wouldn't slow down, that we wouldn't just fall to the ground. There wouldn't be anything that's hindering us. Whatever is hindering us, that we would break free from that. Recognize that that you know the path and we do not. That you are our omniscient God, knowing all things because you are in all places at all times, fully present. You know the path. I pray that we would be leadable, that we would be humble. And whatever the takeaway is tonight for any of us, that you would be glorified in our response to the things you're stirring in us tonight. And as we stand and sing, just a second, I pray that this, just some things would ignite or some things would come together for us or that something would shift. We believe that you are the Lord of the universe and you are sovereign over all. And while you are infinitely more than we can understand, you are incredibly intimately connected to us. I pray that you would just make this personal for us. Even as we sing the songs, that something would happen. Um, But above all that, that you would be praised and lifted up. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.